Hello, we want to thank today's sponsor, FindMeCandidates.com. Between job boards and social media, it can be a daunting task to determine the best place to post your job opening. And when you are trying to figure that out, we highly recommend FindMeCandidates.com for just $4.99 a month with absolutely no contract. You can get your job listed in the most popular job boards and more importantly in premium placement on those job boards. You can't get this anywhere else. It's an excellent service to get more candidates to fill the position for your company. Go check it out at findmecandidates.com. Welcome to Business Playmakers, the podcast that meets with innovators, trailblazers, and leaders to learn about their experience and what success really means. Hosted by entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. The Business Playmakers podcast is brought to you by Employer Blueprint. Employer Blueprint is focused on developing great leaders and high-performing managers through one-on-one coaching and group workshops. To schedule coaching for you or your team, simply visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Business Playmakers. Uh, We've got Cameron Harold with us today, who's um, created a very unique platform uh, for people that would kind of be classified as second in command. So um, a lot of opportunities out there for entrepreneurs and CEOs, but those people that are that are um, kind of helping make those visions come true. And so uh, very excited to have Cameron on and, and share his story and kind of his uh, his keys to success. So Cameron, uh, first of all, thank you so much. And, and as we get started here, um, why don't you kind of walk us through uh, what your career journey has looked like and, and what brought you to where you are now? Sure. Um, I was groomed as an entrepreneur. Uh, my my father and both my grandfathers owned companies, and they groomed the three kids to run companies today. I actually did a, a talk that's been on the main TED.com website for the last nine years about raising kids as entrepreneurs. And that was how I was groomed. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 21, I had 12 full-time employees on my company payroll. I had a, an operational company that I owned and operated at 21. Mm-hmm. Worked with a group called College Pro Painters and built out um, the world's largest residential house painting company. Actually, in 93, and, and I had Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, used to work for me, as did his cousin who built Solar City. Hmm. Uh, so I was training CEOs at a very young age. I coached 120 entrepreneurs by the time I was 27 years old. Wow. Um, left, left there, and I co-founded a group called Boyd Auto Body and Glass, which became Gerber Auto Collision in the U.S., and I was the second in command of that group. Um, built at a private currency company, and then I joined my best friend to scale his company. He had started a group called... Um, the Rubbish Boys. And when I joined him, he had 14 employees at the head office. We changed the name over to 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I was the chief operating officer of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and took them from 14 employees up to 3,100 employees system-wide when I left. Wow. So that was kind of my my entrepreneurial journey. And Mm -hmm. having been a COO three times throughout that, I just started to see that I was really a key factor in growing these entrepreneurial businesses. I never had the idea, but I knew how to operationalize that. So I started coaching started coaching CEOs around the world 12 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, you know, through the course of that, you you mentioned obviously your family uh, having that, that um, entrepreneurial background. Uh, Did you have any other, um, did you have any other mentors that kind of helped you along the way or helped shape kind of the, the vision or helped shape your career journey as it is? 
Yeah, I had a number of them, actually. First one was um, the guy who founded College Pro Painters, Greg Clark, was a, just a big thinker back in those early years, um, was a voracious reader. Um, so I remember we used to get tons of content from you know Tom Peters and um, uh, Jim Collins, even in the earliest days, um, mm-hmm. stuff from Drucker, um, just, just had some really great exposure to some early stage thinkers. And, um, and we're, we're devouring a lot of his business books and his thoughts. So that was probably my first formational mentor. And then while I was building uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK as the COO, I had a mentor who was being groomed as the chief operating officer at Starbucks. And mm-hmm. uh, Greg Johnson and I would spend to get time together every month mm-hmm. working through my business issues and him helping me. So I started to learn at pretty young ages. And then thirdly, I guess I got involved in a, an entrepreneur organization called EO. And I was a member of that organization for five years. And I really saw the power of a peer group and in investing in masterminds. Yeah. Yeah. So I would assume then uh, through some of that and, and uh, specifically kind of working with the other COOs, that's, that's sort of what helped you um, come to this idea of creating a COO group as well. Um, because, you know, as you said, there's just really not a lot out there for people that are in that um, kind of implementer role, not necessarily the visionary, but the one that's implementing those things. Um, yeah. and so what, what ultimately kind of developed that to, to make you launch that as sort of its own uh, business in itself? I'm just recognizing that a lot of, as you said, the implementers, Gino Wickman, who wrote the book EOS Traction, kind of popularized the term visionary and integrator. And, yeah. and the integrators would always go to these entrepreneur conferences. You know, They would yeah. go with their CEO to an EO event or a YPO event or a Genius Network event. And they were always right. around these other entrepreneurs. <clears throat> and they were entrepreneurial for sure. Mm-hmm. But they didn't quite fit in because they always wanted to get into the details. Yeah. And most of the entrepreneurs don't like the details. They don't mm-hmm. want to operationalize everything. So they really, it wasn't their tribe. And I started to see that more and more as I was bumping into some of these people. And I was also coaching a lot of CEOs and their executive teams globally of real businesses. You know, my my typical client is 50 to 500 employees, Mm -hmm. but I've coached a monarchy in the Middle East. I coached Sprint. Um, So I'd be working with these second in commands Mm -hmm. and started to recognize their issues, right? How How to build a connection with the CEO, how to get the vision out of the CEO's head. Right. how to get the CEO to sign up for the operational plans. So I started to see a need to pull them together and it just started from there. Yeah. So where you are right now um, in your career, how would you define uh, what success looks like? How would you define what success is? It's interesting. I, I wrote something around uh, eight years ago that I'm already there. Um, my grandfather had passed away when I was two years old and he, <clears throat> the, the words that my dad always passed on to me, you know, were, your grandpa's dying words or something he said when he was dying about you was um, with a name like Cameron Gardner, Harold, that kid's going to be something someday. Hmm. And I was his only grandson at the time. My, my brother had was born the day before my grandfather died. So um, that was kind of felt like a curse, you know, that, hmm. that striving towards something almost like I would be successful when I got to the horizon. Right. And then around eight or nine years ago, I realized I was at the horizon. I got there. Yeah. And everything else for me after this was a bonus. Um, So I think it was when I stopped striving for better or more and realized that anything else was extra, was bonus, Mm -hmm. that I already was successful. You know, for me, success was around time. It was how much free time I had. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, could I have time with my kids? Could I have time with myself? Could I work on what I wanted to? And I was already doing all that. And I had the money coming in. So I was already there. Yeah. 
Let's let's dive into that for a second too. You know, you talked about when you realized it's it's not about more. So, um, was there a particular point in your career that 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 sort of hit you, or was there a particular season that maybe you were in in life that you started to recognize this shift in what um, kind of success really meant for you? Yeah, I think it was. Um, you know, when I had had purchased the things that others were still striving for, like the golf club membership or the chalet at Whistler or going on trips to Europe or, you know, buying a Tesla, like all the things, the things, right. Yeah. Things. And I realized, then I realized, well, that those don't make me happy. What actually makes me happy was the way I was working and being in a flow state with work and working on the stuff I loved and going to events that I liked having fun at with people and just kind of going, shit, I'm already there. This yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and then all the, and then I still strive towards goals. I still like to buy nice things, but those things didn't define me. And yeah. those things weren't going to make me happier. Right. It was just, it was, I was already waking up grateful. I was already waking up happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like so that. I had, had to flip that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I like that you know, the comment that you made there about waking up grateful, um, you know, and being appreciative of the things around us instead of chasing that next, um, that, that newer, bigger model of whatever it is. Um, so Cameron, something that, you you know, with you, um, uh, kind of an, uh, being an expert in this COO, uh, capacity. Um, one thing that I'm very passionate about is around, uh, management and company culture and, and, uh, team development. And I know, Oftentimes, that's something that falls on the COO role is mm-hmm. is is how that looks. So, um, uh, so let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, sure. What are, what are some things that you have found through the course of your career have been uh, key that you could kind of help others understand whenever it comes time to scale up a business? And and I know one of the things that happens. I mean, so many times, and I, I'm sure you've seen this as well. Entrepreneurs. Um, are great in their field. They're great in their industry, but, but building a team, working with people, developing, um, skill sets and others is not necessarily their strength. And it's certainly not why they got into business. And so that, that oftentimes does fall on that second in command role. What are some keys that you found in helping scale up a business, um, from a workforce perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. Great question. And I'm, I'm actually really well known for building world-class cultures, um, mostly for, for when I started. When we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. And we twice ranked number one to work for in British Columbia. So wow. that kind of launched my coaching career. And from there, I've coached probably a dozen companies that rank number one in their country to work for. I, yeah. I coached the current number two and number 12 company on Glassdoor. Wow. So I started to codify what turns a company into a great uh, magnet for talent. Yeah. The first one is alignment with vision. Mm-hmm. And it's really pure alignment with what the company looks like three years out. Mm-hmm. And some companies like Traction tried to codify it by saying, you know, jot down these 10 things. That's not enough. Um, a mission statement was never enough. Yeah. So what we realized was that an entrepreneur usually could see what the future of their company looked like, but it was in their mind and yeah. they hadn't stripped it out and handed it to people. Yeah. So we codified this concept called a vivid vision. And mm-hmm. I talk about that in the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs and also in my book, Vivid Vision, um, around how if the entrepreneur can take what they see their company looking like three years out and describe the company in vivid detail three years from today, mm-hmm. if they describe what the customers are saying, what the employees are saying, 
what the meetings are like. They describe sales, marketing, IT, literally as if they were walking around their company, almost mm-hmm. as if they'd gone into a, a DeLorean time machine and gone three years into the future, right? Yeah, yeah. So you describe that future company. So that vivid vision, alignment with vision is number one. Number two is really doing what Jim Collins pushed us to do, which is getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and everybody in the right seats. But people don't work hard enough on doing it. Most companies don't train their teams on how to interview and hire. Most companies Mm -hmm. don't actually really, really do the proper reference checks. Most companies at best have B players, but they think they're A players. So when you're truly building a high-performance team and when you work hard to get the cultural cancers out of your company, because mm-hmm. I've never seen a company yet that works hard enough to fire people quickly and get rid of the wrong toxic people quickly. Yeah, I talked to a friend of mine on the weekend and he has this guy who's very toxic in this company of 200 people and he's known for six months. I'm like, dude, that's like a cancer in your body. You wouldn't just leave, let it hang right. out. Exactly. Like you got to get rid of it. Yeah. So that's, that's number two is, is getting rid of the wrong people and getting the right people in. And then number three is really obsessing about pure kind of radical candor communication. Mm-hmm. Um, top down, bottom up, laterally, and to the outside world, and and listening to the outside world. So it's really, truly having honest communication, open communication, thoughtful communication. And then I'd say lastly, it's flipping the org chart upside down, where the CEO is at the bottom, supporting the VPs who support the managers, who support mm-hmm. the employees, who are supporting the customer. It's yeah. not a top down, autocratic, dictatorial company. It's really the um, the servant leadership kind of style. Mm-hmm. That would be how I would, that's how I codify things. No, I think that, I think that's great. And I love that last one about flipping the org chart upside down. Um, that's a great visual to really understand that, that idea of servant leadership that, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've cast this vision and we've got this plan, but now we're here to support those that are ultimately um, making it happen. And I know I'm, I'm very yeah. guilty of, uh, you know, of that first one, which you mentioned, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I know in my head what I want things to look like and then helping others see that. And, uh, and that's something we have to be very intentional about um, in describing it and helping people understand it. So we all know what we're working towards um, and when we're hitting the mark and when we're not. Well, that, that was something that occurred to me very early on in the business world was I couldn't always get what the CEO wanted to build. And the more time I would spend with them, I would start to get it. But then I realized that it was just because of my proximity to the CEO that I would get that. But all the other employees didn't have that proximity to be able to get the information out. So it was my role as that second in command to pull the vision out of the entrepreneur's mind. Very similar to building a house. If you were building a house, the homeowner knows what they want the house to look like. Mm-hmm. But they need to get they need to get the contractor to rip the ideas out of their mind so the contractor can draw blueprints, the right. plans to make the vision come true. Yeah. And if they don't get on the same page, then the workers might build a house, but it won't look anything like what the homeowner wanted. Right. right. So, right. so there has to be a lot of clarity around vision there. That's yeah. what really helped me with it. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways that I describe that um, when I, I talk about four walls of management and the very first one is definition. And that's one of those aspects under that definition side is people have to understand, you have to be able to define for your team what they're doing, how they fit into the whole mix um, and you know what their kind of role within that is. And then what your expectations are and what what's what it should look like for them to be successful in that role. And if we can't define that for people. Um, what I have found, you know, my research would show people are going to create their own definition if you don't give it to them. 
And so yeah, in the absence, in the absence of facts, they make up their own. Right. Right. And so next thing, you know, I mean, to your point, next thing, you know, um, you know, you're six months down the road and they've built this house, but that's not the house that you planned to build. And so we constantly right. have to be recalibrating that to make sure that people are staying on the right path and, and, um, and in the direction that we want them to go. And, and yeah, I like that. Um, um, I like well, that. that's, that's where the vivid vision document becomes a four or five page written document describing mm-hmm. the entire company. So now yeah. you don't have to do the constant recalibration. Yeah. The recalibration is done in such detail that everyone is clear. And then it's about getting them to read it every month. Constantly. Getting your employees, your customers, your suppliers, and getting all the stakeholders to know what the company looks like, right? Because then yeah. if everybody knows where we're going, then we can actually get there. Yeah, yeah. And you know whenever you're getting off track. That's yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to dive into one more thing on that. Whenever you talk about the uh, the cultural cancers and making sure you've got the, the, the right people in the right seat on the bus. Um, so when you identify... Um, when you identify someone that is a, is a cancer in your organization, um, what are, what are, what's some advice that you can give as to how to deal with that, how to, how to handle that situation and how to migrate them out of the organization? Yeah. The first one is just to have that radical candor, right? That really solid upfront discussion with them. So they know that it's not them, it's their actions, right? It's either their lack of performance or their lack of effort or their, the way they're not working with teams or their communication style, but it's something or some things that they're doing that isn't working for the way that we want to do things. So it's sitting down with them and saying, look, when you do this specific thing, this is how it's making me feel. This is how I need you to act, right? Right. How do you feel about it? And it's really having that open discussion. Most leaders don't have that discussion. They're afraid of conflict or they wait too long. So I just try to get you to grow your employees the same way as you grow your children. Right? We would never wait for the end of a year <clears throat> to give our kids employee feedback, right? right. Or kid feedback. You right. give them feedback every minute, every minute of the day. Yeah. Um, so the same with employees, just having that radical discussion and talking mm-hmm. to them and, and loving them like you love your employees, right? And then as soon as you cross the line where you realize they're the wrong fit, where you realize you don't love them, you don't want them there, they're the wrong person, mm-hmm. you have to make the cut right away. You have to actually be like surgical and take right. them out of the company. If, if you as a leader lose trust or faith in them, it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and <clears throat> the, the other people on the team, they know it. They know it. Totally know. Yep. And, and, and what, what I see happen so often with companies is um, they're so, you know, the, the, whoever's in charge is so concerned about the discomfort of getting rid of someone that, um, that they end up losing other better employees that are actually on board or, um, um, or others start to follow suit with, with the actions of the one that's not performing well. And then that becomes sort of norm within the culture. And, um, and hence the reason it's, you know, we would call it a cancer in the organization because it can really, it can spread and it can bring down everything if we're not willing to have those conversations and, and deal with it head on. That's part of what we're called to as leaders in the organization is to be willing to have those conversations. Yeah, this is this is where I feel business is so extraordinarily simple and we overcomplicate it often. You know, yeah. I'm calling them grandmotherisms, but one of the grandmotherisms right now that I know to be true is one bad apple spoils a whole bunch. That's right. right. Your grandmother your grandmother said it, my grandmother said it. Yeah. And it's a very true point. And and if you take that into the business world, one bad employee kind of spoils everyone around them because right. everyone starts working less. 
everyone starts getting frustrated. Everybody yep. starts wasting time communicating about them. But if you extract that person, mm-hmm. often companies can work better shorthanded, right? Yeah. They can actually not even, you don't even need to replace that person. Right. Everyone will be better off. And generally, generally the other employees around them would prefer to work shorthanded than to work with someone in the organization that's not really being a productive, effective member of the team, Um, especially if they know, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Actually, I was speaking this morning on this, um, and that's exactly the way I put it. I I was talking about doing culture assessments and identifying the bad apples uh, to figure out, you know, who are the ones that we need to make adjustments on um, because we cannot just just leave them in the organization. No, we really can't. It's a, it's, it's really good. Um, so, uh, Cameron, you know, through the course of your career, and you've talked about a lot of great people um, already that you've been able to kind of pull and draw information from um, and some, some great books that are out there. But um, w- what are some resources that maybe you might be able to advise to others? Uh, I know you've got some great books out there as well, some resources that, that you think would be beneficial for people to be able to look at and understand, especially in this operational mindset, um, to help them understand how to, to be the best operational professional they can. Sure. Yeah. Well, one, one resource for sure that will help them on the operational side, and, and this would work for any leader. Um, we have a podcast called the Second in Command podcast, and yeah. where we only interview the second in command. We won't interview the entrepreneur. We want the rest of the story. Yeah. So that would be a great one for them. And that's available on all platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and then I guess my five books are probably the, I would say the starting point for our listener today would be The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs would be a really strong one. Um, I co-opted that with Hal Elrod. I would start with there or my first book, Double Double, um, is really solid as well. And it really has. And I would do chapters one, two, four, six, and 12 in okay. the book, Double Double. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's not like it's not like a novel. You don't have to read it front to back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, so as you... Um, is talking about personalities here a little bit. And so these people mm-hmm. that are kind of in this mindset of building up a team and, and, um, um, and developing what that's going to look like, are there particular personality characteristics um, that are fairly universal that you seek out for people that you know you want to be able to bring on board into your organizations? That's a great question. There's, um, yeah, for every role that I like hiring for, I figure out what are the five core behavioral traits for that role. Yeah. And then I also look for not only the behavioral traits, but the skills that they need and have they done those things before. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example on, on behavioral traits. There's not a single really great salesperson who would ever make it through an HR screening process. <laughs> because H- HR professionals by design want people who follow the rules, mm-hmm. dot the I's, cross the T's, respectful, communicate nicely, you know, stay within their lane. That's right. an HR person. So HR people like people like themselves. Right, right. Salespeople have to make it up on the go. They've got to wing it. They've got to shoot from the hip. They've got to be high energy. They've got to take no prisoners. They take like no does not mean no. It means I actually know where the guy lives and I can get through to them now. Yeah. Like they are really they're the opposite of everything that HR likes. Yeah. So if if you actually don't teach a HR how to find great salespeople, they're going to turn away all the great salespeople. Right. So it's very important to think about the behavioral traits on a role by role basis, not mm-hmm. on a company wide basis. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I, I, I um, um, one of the things that I've done as in my recruiting company is, um, actually ask specifically, like what are the five things that if someone can just do these things or behave in these manners, 
if they could just do that every day, you're going to consider them a success. I mean, at least a, a C plus player on your team, they're going to be average. Um, because yeah. if we can understand though, because it's amazing how many times a company will hire someone because they have one, you know, they have one trait or two traits and then they get in and, and, um, they can do this really well, but they're terrible at this other thing that we still need them to do. You know, they do this great, but they can't show up on time or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes yeah. it's as simple as those little things that we've got to recognize within someone that are important for us. It's funny. It's funny just that we often don't think about the things that bug us and then how do we find out in the future if they already live that way so that it won't show up bugging us. Right. Often I think as entrepreneurs or as companies, we don't think about what we're looking for. And it's kind of like the Cheshire cat said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah. We see that happen way too often, unfortunately, um, with companies trying to, trying to build their teams and then get frustrated with it. Um, so, uh, before we head out of here, uh, Cameron, where can we get more information about, uh, your COO group, more information about you and, and about the resources that you have out there? Yeah, so the, the main website is the COOalliance.com. So COOalliance.com. And then all five of my books, Double Double, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, Free PR, Meeting Suck, which actually Meeting Suck should be read by every employee at every company. It's how yeah. to actually it's how to actually stop running shitty meetings and how to also show yeah. up and participate in meetings that you're invited to. That's good. Uh, and then Vivid Vision. They're all available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Okay. All right. Great. Well, Cameron, thank you so much. I love your insights and, uh, and what you're doing to help support those second in command. Um, thank you for what you're doing and, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it, man. Have a great one. All right. You do the same. Thanks, Thanks so much. Sir. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you for checking out today's Business Playmaker. Links to the resources discussed in today's episode are available in the show notes. For more information and resources from your host, you can visit him at www.kylegorman.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for the latest episodes. And until next time, make it a great day.